Good morning, Andy. How are you? Good morning. I am fine on this beautiful sunny day in Miami. All right. Awesome. Well, uh, Andy, real quick, I was hoping you could uh, introduce yourself to uh, listeners out there and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're up to. Sure. First and foremost, thank you so much for taking the time out this morning and including me in your wonderful podcast. I am beyond honored and beyond happy to be here. So my name is Andy Stein. And I always introduce myself as a recovering banker. So I was a banker for 25 years, but my passion was always working with children. So about 20 years ago, I was the number one flyer in the state of New Jersey for Continental Airlines way back when. And uh, I went to every country manager at Chase at the time and said, if you want me to come to your country, you have to find me an orphanage, two hours on the schedule, and let me play with some kids. And I would go and every country I'd go to, I'd play with the kids, I'd help them with their homework, I'd listen to their dreams. And one orphanage I was visiting in Chile was a home for battered and abused girls. And it was some of the worst abuse in the country. And the nuns took me aside and they said, look, Tio Mago, Uncle Magician, the girls love you, they can't wait till the Tio comes back. But at the age of 18, these girls have to leave. And within a year, 100% of these girls will become prostitutes and live on the streets. That was my aha moment. I'm like, screw that, never again in my lifetime. Uh, went back, blackmailed the law firm that made most money off me the year before, set up a 501c3, and decided together with the nuns that education and job training was going to be the way out for these kids. So we started the Orphan Starfish Foundation, which is dedicated to helping orphans, victims of abuse, survivors of trafficking, indigenous children, and at-risk youth escape those cycles of poverty and abuse through education and job training. And we started the first computer training center in Chile 19 years ago. And in 19 years since, only one girl's gone to the streets. Every other girl's gone on to university or gotten a full or part-time job. And then that expanded to Brazil, to Panama, to all over Latin America, then to Asia, to Africa. So now the Orphan Starfish Foundation helps over 15,000 children in 70 computer centers in 29 countries around the world, including with Native Americans here in the U.S. and Canada. incredible and um what was that your your trip down there helping them was that the initial catalyst for this or how did you transition from uh from the banking life to the, the philanthropy life um so i always tell everyone it wasn't a jerry Maguire moment i didn't just get up off my desk in the bank walk out the door and start doing this full time Who's it, was with a, a, it was a more of a transition so it was 10 percent of my life then it was 20% of my life. Then it was 50% of my life. And I left formal banking and started a consulting company. So I could spend 50% of my time doing this. And then 10 years ago, I just kind of gave up altogether, figured this is what I was put on the planet to do, gave up money and decided that uh, I would focus full time on this. And that's when we went from about 4,000 kids to about 15,000. 
Um, but, and then we've developed even more. So in addition to just the basic computing, now that I've been doing it full time and have this wonderful team with me, we've now expanded to coding, uh, 3d printing, robotics, um, Adobe software, and we started a movie making art, um, everything that these kids need, all the tools they need to be successful in life. Wow. And um, so during these, these programs that you set up, I, when, one thing I was just thinking was, um, do you get these kids to do things like uh, Upwork or, or utilize these platforms that allow them to monetize their skills that they're learning through the, the, the programs that you've developed? That's a wonderful question and something we've just started. Um, we just started that uh, pilot program for that in Colombia. And then we're going to be expanding that around, you know, the first was to get everyone educated, to get everyone into college that wanted to get into college. Those who wanted to be entrepreneurs, let them be entrepreneurs. Now it's getting them work where they are um, while they're studying, while they're learning what we do. So yeah, we have a program using um, the program you mentioned earlier. We've also worked with some of the call center operators around the, around the world and having them train and, and hire them. Um, and we just started a program on social media and entrepreneurship where those kids are getting jobs doing that as well. That's incredible. Uh, what do you feel has, um, because for me learning about what you're doing, uh, I think that a lot of people out there who want to donate to organizations feel that there are certain stigmas around where the money's going or how it's being allocated and, um, you know, Oftentimes, when I've spoken to people about donations and, and things of that nature, there, there is some skepticism, you know, because there have been some bad actor institutions out there. How, how do you um, uh, tackle that subject and help um, people who get involved in your organization understand the transparency and understand uh, and get to see how the lives are impacted. So I tackle that head on. Um, remember, I'm a recovering banker. So I run this thing like I would have run a company. So there's accountability, there's checks and balances, there's everything you would want in a regular company, but only in a nonprofit world. Um, secondly, I am a little bit fanatic about the most amount of money of anyone's donation. I feel like I'm the steward of anyone's donation going directly to the kids. You need something for overhead, but we've kept that overhead number uh, at less than 11%, I think it's now to 10% now, with everything else going directly to our programs. Certainly 100% is unreasonable because you do need to kind of actually send the money and, and hire the people and do that you need. But I've kept those numbers as low as humanly possible. And I think I compare favorably with almost any other nonprofit to make sure that the money you've entrusted me with as a donation goes directly to those kids. And I think I've had some wonderful, um, supporters, you know, Carlson Wagon, they travel, some of the other donors in the past that have done deep dives into our finances and, and into our support and have come through saying we are one of the best organizations that they've given to because we've shown them with that transparency that their funds are going to exactly where they want them to go. Have you, do you currently, or do you have any plans of accepting uh, cryptocurrency donations? So that's a wonderful question, and one we were we were starting to research last year. Um, as it's a quite easy, Andy, I, I can help I, you out if you if you need help with it. It's quite. Easy I would love work. that. So we were just going through some of the tax implications of it and what we would do with the currency. I think that what would happen is we'd take the currency, but 
then have to convert it same day so that we're not being seen as playing the markets um, with donors' money. Um, but uh, yeah, I think we had, we looked at that. We, we, we actually, we obviously accept stock and appreciated stock. That was put in place several years ago. And obviously donations on the website and in cash wires and all of that stuff. But cryptocurrency is absolutely something we were looking at. But most likely we would uh, take the donation and then convert it same day to, to cash, but allow the donor to, to give us some cryptocurrency. Yes, because uh, in, you know, as, as you know, probably better than most, uh, the remittances business uh, is, is awful actually for, um, for the people who are trying to transfer money to uh, people in wherever, maybe Venezuela, um, because they eat so much. Yeah, so much uh, fees, right, absolutely. Yeah, um, that's, that's why I came to mind about cryptocurrency. Um, so for those out there that are listening that feel like they maybe want, get inspired and they want to maybe start something or, or, or give back in some way, what, what takeaways or things that you've learned through doing this what advice would you give to young people who are out there looking to find ways to support or build organizations such as yours to help children or work on the environment or what have you? So I've mentioned a number of young people. Again, I started this almost 20 years ago, so I've mentored a number and I'm a little older than you. So I've mentored a few other, uh, a few other people who've started some wonderful foundations. The pillar of everything is follow your passion. Um, yes, I very much need and love people to support orphans and victims of abuse, survivors of trafficking and support our foundation. But if your passion is the environment or your passion is anything else, follow that passion. And that's what you are, your charity should do. You certainly support other charities, but that's where your focus should be. The second is be very diligent in setting it up like I did as a real foundation. And, you know, there are a number of people who want to do good but don't know how to run organizations. And if you don't know how to run an organization, bring someone with you that does. Um, I've seen a number of foundations that mean really well, but just didn't know how to run things efficiently and wind up going under or cutting back or having to let go of people, things like that. Um, but I think, you know, there are, you know, it's all kinds of resources on the internet, on the web, and I'm not, I'd be happy to be a resource to anyone who wants to, to start a foundation. Um, but you have, you know, follow that passion. You can make a difference in the world and know you can make a difference and it doesn't have to be billions of dollars. Um, and I can tell you for, you know, in some places I've worked in Latin America, a few thousand dollars have changed dozens of lives forever. So on that note, where do you see when you've, I know when you initially built this, there's been a lot of growth. I and mean, you're in what, 60 countries right now? No, 29 countries, 29 70, countries. 70 centers. 70 centers, that's what I was thinking. Um, you know, where do you see um, this growing to in the next three to five years and ahead? How do you see so, you know, I don't have the ego where it has to be in 100 countries and 1,000 programs. You know, that's not it. It's all it's all has to be organic. It all has to be where there's need and where there's a great fit. So there's no one number of how many orphanages or homes I need to support, how many different countries I need to be in. But what we found is a great growth strategy has been about four or five new programs a year, one or two new countries a year, and keeping the control that um, makes sure that each of these programs is successful, um, as successful as all of our other programs around the world. Um, secondly, what I really am struggling to do is 
continue to provide content to the kids who are going through. 15,000 is a lot of kids. Um, and to give them even more opportunities, um, whether, it, you know, a lot of the programs I spoke about are pilots or only in a few programs based mostly because of, of lack of funding. With more funding, we can get coding into more programs. We can get um, 3D printing. We can get robotics. We can get English language into more programs. And my goal is that every one of the kids currently has every option open to them. And then we expand on a, on a very measured but important basis. And um, you were telling me a story last night that I found particularly intriguing about, um, and this is why I asked the previous question, about the byproducts of what you're working on, how uh, some of those that you've been supporting have now become mini entrepreneurs and they, Absolutely. they've requested funds for some of their, uh, can you right. tell us a bit more about? Um... Sure. The, the one thing that actually I was a little surprised about, which I shouldn't have been, is the pay it forward aspect. Um, the kids who graduate our programs, their desire to help the orphans or the survivors of abuse behind them. Um, so in some cases, they've gone on and they mentor all of the kids that they go back to. They teach them how to interview for a job and all of that. The story you're referring to is in Ethiopia, where we, um, the graduates of our program came and said, look, um, Andy, we can go into the big city and work in jobs. You've trained us well. We can all get jobs there. But we don't want to leave our villages, our families, our friends. Um, we've set up a program, and we're making a pitch to you to be entrepreneurs. We're going to build a, a computer center and stationary center in the middle of our village in a reconditioned uh, store, uh, shipping container. Um, we need $11,000, and if you give us that, we have a business plan. We'll put it together. And then I was telling you a year and change later, I came back and he was the most uh, successful businessman in his village. He had employed more people in that village than anyone else. And he put his feet up on the table and he said, Andy, have you heard about franchising? And he learned all about franchising online. And then the next time back, he took me to one of his franchisees um, in another village that he had done the same exact thing to. And then they became the largest employer in their village. So yeah, the, the paid forward aspect of everything we do, I love affecting all of the thousands of children that we've affected, but not only the pay it forward aspect and helping those beyond them, but also in breaking those cycles of, of abuse and, and, and poverty, because now these young women and young men have families of their own. I mean, some of the girls I started with are now in their thirties um, and they have successful jobs, happy marriages and wonderful, happy, um, successful children. Um, and it's, uh, it's a testament to the power of giving someone the tools to succeed and then using those, those tools to pay it forward. And which, so seeing that come to fruition, that, that must've been a surprise to you that, you know, you start in, in one area to help educate and then all of a sudden you have these interesting byproducts and, you know, these uh, subcultures created around what you're doing with these mini entrepreneurs. Um, what, so what, during your time period going through this and creating these organizations, what has personally excited you the most and gotten you uh, most fired up about what you've seen and, and, and how things have unfolded? Oh, you know, I visit every program. I, you know, before COVID, I used to visit every kid once a year, all 15,000. Um, and I've watched them all grow up. And the transformation of these children, um, you know, there's three girls they call Andy's Angels in Medellin. 
and watching them from when they were young girls when I first met them to, uh, you know, victims of abuse, recently victims. They were shy. They were a little bit standoffish. They weren't really, they didn't smile as much as you would want them to smile. And then to see them now grow into these successful young women who are confident, who are funny, who are loving, who have strong relationships, um, who just watching that transformation, you know, I have two young boys and I'm not they're young, young anymore, but two boys and they're, and I've, and I've watched, and I've watched their, I've watched their transformation of 15,000 lives to see that not only are they transformed by the work that I've done, but I've been able to share that with all of the donors, all of the people who supported us over the last 19 years and shown them that they were able to make a difference. And, and when I take, and, and we've talked about this, I can't wait to take you on a trip um, to visit one of these, one of these programs, to see the transformation, to see the, the hope, the dedication, the resilience, all of those wonderful qualities um, in these children that you know are there and having the ability to bring that out has been, you know, one of the greatest joys of my life. So glad to hear that. So glad to hear that. So, so Andy, what do you feel, you know, building these from the ground up, what do you feel are the biggest challenges ahead? You know, it's interesting. You talk about building from the ground up, but, you know, fortunately what we have, the way we've been so successful on not a great deal of, of funding is by having great partnerships. So the, the biggest challenge is finding the right partners. So in every country in which we work, in every program we work, I trust the people who run that, that program completely. I take a bullet for them and they trust us completely and they would take a bullet for us. So I think it's when we expand to other countries, to other programs, is making sure we have the right partners in each program. Because one of the things you said earlier, there is unfortunately a good deal of corruption, graft, problems in, around the world. And there are some organizations that aren't run as well as you would like them to be run. And my challenge, um, our challenge is to make sure that each new partner fits the same mold that every other partner has done that we've done in the past and that we continue to grow organically, but we do it the right way. And how does the uh, local government or local authorities, how do they interact with or do they interact with your organizations? So one of the things we take pride on is that we're apolitical and a-religious. So basically, uh, I think there's seven different religions around the world I work with and a, and a politician in every country. And though we invite them to our inaugurations and, and let them take you know, pride in what's going on in their communities, we are, we are completely unreliant upon local politics, local support, government support, everything's private. Um, and that has some benefits if governments change power, if local politicians take power, um, we've never had a program nationalized or taken over. They're cordial and we let our local partners kind of handle the local relationships, um, but we don't take any funding from government so that we're not beholden to any of them. Mm. Um, well, have you dealt with any, um, and I've heard stories of some friends that have worked in organizations or small businesses in some of these third world countries. Um, have you, had direct issues with uh, local gangs or uh, kind of these rogue organizations that have, because I would imagine if you're taking girls out of this system or boys out of right. this system of trafficking, that there would be a local backlash. So the question is, so there's not a local backlash. 
Yeah, for instance, in Mexico, we work with a home for girls who are um, safe from trafficking and are testifying against their traffickers. And it's a safe house and very few people know where it is. I'm one of them and I won't tell you where. But um, it's, it's an area that we provide all of their education. And yes, the people on the ground are very cognizant or very wary or very knowing on how to deal with all of that. But I am fortunate, I'm just known as the crazy gringo that comes down. Um, and even in places like, look, we work in the favelas of Rio. Certainly the people who are active in those favelas know what we're doing and where we're doing it. But what I found is, and it's again, if we go back to having great partners, those great partners have relationships where they know that they're doing good for the kids in the community. They're kind of left alone. Um, and it's been, again, I'm in some of the most dangerous places in the world. And thank God, knock on whatever wood, we've never had an issue. So I think it's a respect for what we're doing for the community, a respect for how transparent and honest we are, um, and that we've never taken advantage or done anything or turned anybody in or done anything like that. Um, we work within kind of what, what we can do. If you were to, uh, I feel like this is a hundred questions right now. I, hey, <laughs> I've answered many more. I love it. If, if you were to go back Andy, and, and start, let's say you had never started these organizations and you were to start it again from scratch, um, what would you do differently? What advice would you give yourself? So the bane of my existence is fundraising. Um, if I could spend my entire life just playing with kids and helping them and doing all of that, that I'd be the happiest man in the world. I think when you started, and when I started, I was very fortunate that I was still a banker and I had some clients that were, that were supporting me in a smaller way, um, is do have some of your financial footing kind of before you start. Um, you don't want to promise things you can't deliver. You don't want to build too quickly. If you have a vision, a grand vision, you want to have that vision kind of played out with the financials behind it. So I think it's, it's important to have at least some idea where your funding is going to come before you kind of start out with your grand idea, because if not, I would have loved to have done it much more quickly than I did, but I was always constrained and I still am constrained by, by financing. So, um, have, you know, whether it's the, uh, a donor, a rabbi, somebody that's kind of backing you up um, on the finance side that you're, you know, doesn't have the time to do what you're going to do, but wants the, the feeling of giving back and making that difference, you know, have somebody like that lined up early on or a group lined up or a financing lined up so that you can kind of hit the ground running. And um, have you thought about um, different ways using technology to to scale much like your young entrepreneur who is uh you know you know taking up that 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 model of uh kind of um creating little micro communities yeah so lemons to lemonade you know the covid crisis over the last seven eight months has been devastating around the world um, we've had to step up and actually provide food and necessities, excuse me, PPE to over 2,400 students and families around the world. But we've also gotten very adept at online learning. Um, so now there's the ability to use that technology and the comfort level that online learning has. The extension of the internet in some of the places where we haven't been able to extend it before, but now is being done for education purposes. And then using that for online classes, for online learning, for online extension. Um, the, the 
entrepreneur class we're doing a, is a gentleman from California doing it to a group in Bogota and it's all online and it's all digital. Um, and then what we talked about earlier is digital jobs. Um, I think I told you the story that in the Native American reservations, um, one of the tribal councils called me in and they said, look, we love what you're doing. We love the technology. We love what, what, you're, what you represent. But even more importantly, you're representing jobs that can be done here on reservation so that we can keep our culture. We can keep our, our young people here learning our culture, learning our language, but also have them be gainfully employed in technology jobs where they don't have to go anywhere. So that's something that we're really building out as well. Incredible. Well, do you have any, um, what, where can people find you? Where can, how can people help? How can people get involved in your organization? Um, you know, what's, so thanks. Thanks so much for asking. I really appreciate being able to do a plug. So I've made it as easy as possible. Our website is osf.org. Um, Oscar Sam Frank, if you know Old Spaghetti Factory, they have .com, uh, but osf.org has all the information. We've won some awards on the website. We have a big gala, as you know, coming up next, uh, next month, actually almost a, exactly a month from yesterday, um, where we have you know, representatives from kids around the world all the information on all of our programs, a bunch of celebrity performances that'll blow everyone away. And that's kind of the main fundraising event um, for individuals around, around the world. And it's virtual this year. So anywhere, anywhere in the world, anyone anywhere in the world will be able to see it. But yeah, I always encourage people, osf.org, go on there, take a look. Um, I'm always available and, and my email is even easier. It's andy at osf.org. Um, and I live on my phone. And can people also, uh, see more about your organization on Instagram or Twitter or it, what, what do you I have all of that. Yes. Um, and I wish I had them all committed to memory, but, uh, at orphan starfish, I know is one, uh, we're not on Twitter yet, but we are on Insta and on Facebook. Amazing. And then oh. I'm sorry. Okay. And then, you know, and again, I think in any way, shape or form, you know, follow us, look for us, um, see what we do. Um, it has been, and, the greatest honor of the world to help these children all over the world. And our website has these incredible videos and pictures and descriptions of the difference we have made and continue to make. And uh, if, if people are looking to donate, would they have access to, um, to visit some of your facilities and actually see the, the difference that they're making? Yeah. So I think that's one thing, you know, unfortunately for now, most places are closed to Americans during COVID. Um, and some of our programs aren't allowing people in to protect themselves, but I am as optimistic as anyone that one day that will stop. And yeah, we've talked last night, we've taken a number of donors to, to our programs and each and every one who's been, has been forever changed in their life. Incredible. Well, Andy, thank you so much. And, uh, I'll look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you for coming John, on. John, you're, uh, you're an angel. Um, thank you for bringing light to the work we do. Thank you for taking your time out this morning. Thank you for being you. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, brother. Cheers. All right.